Hello, everybody, and welcome to Silverline Behind the Frame, Episode 6. I'm Micah Ness, and in this episode, I get to sit down with Mike Lauder from the Mule Deer Foundation. And he is the Director of Field Operations for the Mule Deer Foundation. We get to talk about what the foundation is all about, the impact they're making for mule deer conservation, and how others can get involved and make a difference. Hope you enjoy. I'm here with uh, Mike Lauder here at the uh, first day of the Hunt Expo. And uh, so tell me, so you're involved pretty heavily with the Mule Deer Foundation. So what's your, what's your kind of main position in this? I am the Director of Field Operations for the Mule Deer Foundation in charge of uh, nationwide fundraising. I have 12 RDs that, that operate nationwide by holding fundraising events uh, to involve public and community um, to, like I said, raise money for yeah. mule deer habitat and to f- further our, our, uh, our efforts in, in, in enhancing mule deer opportunities. Yeah. Excellent. And this, this show, I mean, that's, that's really a, a major foundation for this whole event, right? I mean, that's, it is. that's, that's the, the Western kind of... hunting and conservation expo. Yeah. People come from all over the world. It's probably one of the biggest shows in the West. Yeah. Um, it's it's very conservation oriented. We have our, our a day auction on Friday evening and Sunday, or I mean, I'm sorry, day on Friday evening, Friday and Saturday evening auctions. We're going to raise millions of dollars for wildlife habitat, and it it's that's a good thing. You're bringing a bunch of like minded people to the same place, and when you you bring that many people with the passion for wildlife and conservation that that they have, mm-hmm. the results are good, and exactly. the beneficiary is wildlife. Yeah, and they're they're putting their money where where they feel passionately about. I mean, and that, and that shows through with the success of the event, right? Absolutely. We've grown, you know, year after year after year. In our 13th year, you know, last year we had 55,000 people walk to show halls. We have sold wow. out evening events. Wow. The room will accommodate 1,800 people. We're going to pack it. Wow. It's, it's, we have uh, Night Entertainment. We have Lone Star, the Eli Young Band. So at the end of the auctions, you know, people stay and they get to share stories. And, and it's, it's good to see everyone from one year to the next. Yeah. Every aspect of the industry meets under this roof to for this week to to enjoy each other's company and raise money for conservation yeah yeah that's that's huge and i think uh unless you're coming to these events it's it's almost refreshing to see this many people in one place right putting putting everything towards the same end goal that's that's the truth we have you know we try to tailor this show towards everybody's interest we have a you know if you're sitting at home and you'd like to attend this show you can bring your kids here. We have, we have stuff for the kids. We sure. have a Muley program, Mindful Understanding Legal Ethical Youth, and, and we teach them how to shoot pellet guns. We talk to them about conservation, about ethics. Uh, there's something here for everybody. So I, I think by keeping that show so, I guess, the demographic of the show, to, it appeals to everyone. Yeah. yeah. Something that would appeal to everyone. Sure. And how, how long has it been going, you, you had mentioned? 13th year. This 13th is our 13th year, year wow. in Salt Lake. Yeah. Prior to that, it, we had we had some in Reno when we were small. Sure. You know, we're kind of growing. Our organization is you know is forever growing, and this we've settled here, and our, our national headquarters are based out of Salt Lake. So we have the show here. It's a kind of a central hub in the West. Yeah. Easy to get in and out of. So. Right. Right. And so as far as this this event, I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of things going on the rest of the year leading up to just this this yes. main event, and and you're. You're heavily involved in that process. Yeah, right? it's our organization. You know, we're a 501c3, and, and we're the only species, one of the few species-specific groups. Yeah. Mule deer are the only big game species in North America that is on the decline. So I have 12 guys that are regional directors. We have banquets as far east as Atlanta, Georgia, Minnesota. I mean, those guys don't have mule deer. 
Yeah. But they, but they come out west and hunt mule deer, so they have fundraising events back there that are very successful. And the, the guys that manage those are, are regional directors, and they work for the organization. And they capture, they round up that money at those, those events, and then and they, they can allocate that. We do fire rehab, water guzzlers. I mean, the list is so long, we could go on for days. Um, we in Habitat, winter range with bitterbrush and sagebrush, and, and yeah. the volunteers that participate at these fundraisers are also the ones that go get their hands dirty and get on their knees out in the dirt and put these bushes in the ground and, and support that effort as well. So the end goal, yeah, you see it go full circle. You yeah. gather the people, you raise the money, you spend the money with our game agencies and, our, and those that support you know, habitat improvements, whether it be water guzzlers, overpasses. I mean, like, the list is long. Yeah. And then those same volunteers will, will meet you on a Saturday and, and put in hours and hours of labor to help complete the circle, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, you know. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of a cool deal. Yeah. And for someone uh, that maybe just hasn't been involved in this process or just thinking maybe just even outside of the hunting realm that don't realize how big of a deal an organization like Mule Deer Foundation is, uh, can you kind of explain maybe just from the outside person of, of why, why, why is this organization such a big deal? And, and obviously you mentioned with the Mule Deer in decline, I mean, that's even more emphasis. Like what, what's kind of the end game? The end game is, to, I mean, we're probably, it's unlikely we're going to go back to 1964. You hear them talk about the good old days. The good old days are now. Yeah. Get involved. Yeah. Uh, you can jump on a website. If you, if you just wanted to, to check it out and see what it was like, you could find a local event near you. It's, it's very simple. We have online ticket sales. You, can, you yeah. can click the button, go out to an event, see what it's all about. It's family-oriented. Kids are welcome. We, we have women's programs in our organization. We invite you into this to help us make a difference in mule deer habitat. We want the good old days that we have now not to go away. And so yeah. we're enhancing opportunity. We're, you know, we're doing, we're involved in the biological end of things all the way to, to the literally planting the bitter brush and sagebrush yeah. and helping on winter range. And we have, as a national organization, we have seats at all the tables, the National Deer Alliance, all our local states, because the regional director in that state sits on the local committees for, for your local deer herd. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you live in Colorado or you live in a western state, even in the eastern state, we represent our constituency at these meetings and help help with the decision-making process in regards to how we hunt our deer. I'm, I'm not as big a fan of, about how we manage our hunters as I am about how we manage the, the opportunities and, yeah. the, and the times in which we can spend, you know, either viewing or hunting deer. Not everybody's consumptive user. Right. We're a consumptive user, but we put far more back than we take. Yeah. The reason they're deer here are because of sportsmen and the amount of money that they spend that come out of their hunting licenses to enhance our opportunities. But if you're just somebody that likes to view wildlife, there's a place for you here too. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's, there's parts that people can enjoy Absolutely. from all different aspects right. of the, the wildlife. And, and so for, again, for those that maybe don't understand the process of, of the money that goes into these types of organizations, uh, how much of the, you know, when you're going to buy a tag in, in these different places, and it's probably different in different states, but for those that don't know, the money that's going towards that, uh, how much of that is going towards the similar things that, or any of the things that, that you guys do as well versus the money that you raise here at this event versus just selling, you know, tags? Is there is there a difference? I mean, is it kind of, does the resources from that side of things also go towards similar things, or is this the the more importance for the Mule Foundation is because that doesn't cover the rest of the things that you guys are doing? Like, is it is it a completely different 
impact the, from the, the money that comes in from this show as opposed to our, uh, our right other as fundraising? far as your 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 fundraising that you do as far as as far as the mule deer foundation yes versus when somebody goes and you know buys a tag or, or paying to access well, when you, you buy know, a tag like you're, you're hunting at the state level and and, yeah. and and i can speak to utah specifically five dollars out of every hunting license goes to the species in which the hunting license was sold for yeah they have what's called a habitat council um I, I represented big game. I had $1.2 million to spend of hunter's money yeah. on wildlife. Yeah. That, that'd be moose, antelope, all big game. Mm-hmm. There were four public representatives. The other one was waterfowl, upland game, and fishing. And everybody had a budget based on the, the hunting licenses sold for that particular deal. Uh, we would spend $1.2 million. I was on that Habitat Council for four years. I loved it. Yeah. So that's the state level. Yeah. Here, we spend... We're, the IRS has deemed us uh, 93% efficient. That's mission statement. Wow. So that's, nine, that's not 93 cents hits the dirt. That's 93 cents of every dollar goes to our mission statement. Wow. Mission accomplishment, I believe, yeah. is the way it's worded. That goes to membership fulfillment. That goes to the regional director's salary because we have to have a regional director yeah. to facilitate events to generate revenue to then put in the ground. Yep. So 93%. And that's not our designation. That's the IRS told us that's what we are. Wow. So that's pretty lean yeah. when you're, you know, I mean, and better than most <laughs> a groups. a lot of impact. That, it is. Yeah. It's, and it's amazing. Uh, it, it makes you proud to be able to say that because, but the clear distinction needs to be not 93% hits the ground, but 93% goes to the mission statement for wow. facilitation of, you know, membership. And, and like I just explained, so. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty proud to be able to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's something that's, that's really making, making effects that yeah. people It's a large see. effect. Yeah. And in our chapters, we have a program. It's chapter rewards. So as a you know, volunteer, say you and I got together and we, we decided we're going to do a fundraising event for Mule Deer. And, and, you know, maybe you and I hunt this canyon up behind the house and it's, you know, it, it needs a guzzler. You know, yeah. the deer are crossing the road and they're getting hit by cars. We can literally raise that money and that chapter gets to allocate funds from that chapter. It's not its own 501c3, but yeah. with, if they get, they can get a local biologist involved. You know, we obviously wouldn't want to put somebody doing something in their front yard, but a local project is a good thing. And that's, that's something that we've been able to hang our hat on as well. Get a local biologist in your state. They say that's a good idea. We'd love to have a guzzler in this canyon, the deer across the road getting hit. That chapter can then allocate funds from their own fundraising event mm, to, yeah. that, to that specific project. So sure. that's a... As a volunteer, if you're participating in something and you, and you get to see the fruits of your labor spent in, a, in an area that maybe is really fond of your heart, man, that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, because so many groups, the, the chapters don't, don't get to make those, those decisions. Yeah. And it's a great, it's our chapter rewards program and based on their efficiency determines what they get to, to spend locally. So it's, it's uh, we have a pretty good program and we're growing leaps and bounds. Yeah. And that, and that gives gives a lot more opportunity for people to be involved and, be see, involved, and, and yes. really see what they're, what they're giving to because they, I mean, they're, they get to experience it right Right. There, we, right? Like we talked full circle at the yeah. beginning of this, you know, you got to raise the money and then you got to go and, and enhance that area in some way yeah. to benefit wildlife. And, and when you do a guzzler, it doesn't say mule deer only. Right. I mean, if you're an upland <laughs> bird guy or, sure. or an elk yeah. guy, or, I mean, everything benefits from water and yeah. arid regions. I mean, so the benefit is large. Yeah. Yeah. And on the, how, how long do those typically, I mean, do they have to be maintained? Then do you guys go back to, to maintaining <laughs> we have, each we year? We have a program I mean, for that too. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine. we'll be giving awards on Saturday morning. We have what's called a volunteer recognition breakfast and, and they get what's called sweat equity hours. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so there'll be chapters from all of the United States at our, at our breakfast on Saturday morning and they'll, they'll get, uh, it's, it's, 
I guess, tiered. You know, so many hours is, you know, silver, gold, bronze, and, yeah. and things of that nature. You, yeah. It would blow your mind the amount of hours these people spend wow. on habitat projects. Yeah. It's not all about raising the money. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, when people get caught up in that, oh, it's a rich man's sport, it's all about the money. This money enhances opportunity for everyone, whether yeah. you're a participant or not. So I, I encourage you to get involved. Yeah. Point being, uh, with our volunteers, they'll, they'll adopt a guzzler. And say, you know, it's in close proximity to where they live, and they coordinate with the game and fish if there's a, it needs a float or needs to be shut off in the winter or sure. general maintenance. And they'll just adopt it. We have a group up north here that adopted a wildlife management unit. That's, that's ground owned by wow. the Division of Wildlife Resources that everybody huge. can hunt and fish, everybody can enjoy. And they got with their local biologist. They have a regular meeting, and they've spent over the last two years $20,000 on bitter brush. And they were planting last year, uh, you ought to look it up, I'm probably on YouTube, in the snow yeah. on March 17th, wow. planting bitter brush. We got 30 people out there on their knees planting bitter brush in, in March. Wow. In the snow. Yeah. Um, so, yes, they do adopt, and they have adopted this, this unit. So when the biologist has an idea about a project or something we can do to enhance, it's a winter range, so it's very beneficial to our mule deer and elk as well. Uh, he'll come up with an idea or a plan or work together, and that chapter allocates their chapter rewards specifically to that unit that's literally 40 miles from where they have the banquet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. probably not even that far. Yeah. <laughs> so the so the That's, full circle thing yeah. is, is very applicable. Yeah. I guess one one thing you said to me earlier, I, yeah. I, I just go back and touch on. Yeah. I, I used to get approached by people all the time that would say, you know, what are you doing for me? Mm-hmm. And and I I was you know I'm a young RD. I want to share every project. Every I'm very excited about oh, this yeah. organization. I'd spend ten or fifteen minutes telling them all the things we were doing for them, and I'd ask them, would you like to be a member? No. Well, have you ever been a member? No. So I guess if I could ask your listeners mm-hmm. to ask themselves, what are they doing for themselves? Yeah. So I started asking you, what are you doing for you? Yeah. If you care about wildlife, you care about elk, you care about whatever it is that you care. Mm-hmm. If you're a fisherman, join a group and, and, and unite and go do good things. Yeah. Don't sit back at home and wonder what somebody else is doing to take care of your wildlife. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's public wildlife. It's public lands. Get involved. Yeah. Don't expect somebody to do your work. Yeah. What are you doing for you is my kind of my motto. I wanted to slide that in there. <laughs> no, that's perfect. It's super important. That's exactly. I mean, it's it's getting getting people active and giving ways that they can become active. And it's not a it's it's not something that's unobtainable. No, I mean, anybody not at all. can anybody can join and then like you said, be involved to actually see what's going to and Fruits I think of your labor. especially now with the so many different organizations that are, you know, promoting different things to help in the outdoor space, but you don't always see the, the physical results of what you're, what you're giving to. And I think that's a real big part of making it that much more real that they can connect with and actually really see, see the involvement sure. that's happening. And I think that's, that's huge. It um, is. I think, I think that anytime you invest in anything, you want to yeah. see a return. Yeah. And, it, and that, we can provide that. And yeah. I mean, I've been on these projects where there are people that are in the late 70s, you wow. know, and, and they come up with their shovel and their pail and they, they do their thing. Yeah. And you always wonder if yeah. that bitter brush you're carrying could be the difference between a mule deer making it through the winter or not. Right. But, but at the same, in the same sentence, there's half a dozen kids running around helping as well, you know, mm-hmm. scout projects, all kinds of good yeah. things. We, we, we put our money where our mouth is, but there's a lot of opportunity for everyone to get involved. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. And for, for you, I guess, how did you 
end up being in this position to be involved? I mean, grow, <laughs> did, you, did it start early on just being I grew, in hunting I grew growing up? up and, I grew up with, with a, a father that enjoyed taking me out hunting, and I, yeah. I fell in love with the outdoors at a very early age. I was a, I was a duck hunter early on. I, mm-hmm. I used to leave an elk hunter early to go shoot ducks on opening day. And <laughs> We're and, big duck hunters <laughs> in Idaho. That's, I spent that's a lot huge. of time chasing <laughs> geese. And as, I, as I got yeah. older, I got into guiding, and I started guiding, and I just became enamored with mule deer specifically. Yeah. Um, I had a really good influence growing up with the outdoors i was taught to to respect outdoors you know carry in which pack you know carry out which packy and things of that nature and as i got older i got to a point where i i'd gotten married i started to have a family and I, I got in a position where i could do something for for wildlife and i got on a committee just yeah. as a volunteer i go. was a guy that had some good ideas i've got a pretty good business mind got on a committee and was helping out and i, I was very passionate about mule deer and, the, and our cause and i got to see all the things we've talked about and i just kind of Next thing you know, I'm I'm the chapter chair. Oh my goodness, I'm a you know guy on the committee, and then uh, the opportunity came along to be the state chairman. So that's the lead volunteer for the state. Yeah, and I did that for a year or two, and then the next thing you know, the the organization was calling me on the phone, offered me a a position, and wow. I and I I declined. You yeah. know, four out of five times I said I'm a soccer dad. I've got other things going, and I'm so glad that that the last time I I was approached that I that I I signed, and that was. I was a regional director for 11 years, and then over the last three years, I've been the director of field operations for the organization. Mm-hmm. But I started from the volunteer ranks, and now I'm, you know, working as a staff member. So it's good. Wow. Yeah. Good career. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, has that, I guess, been built upon just obviously over the several years of seeing the impact and obviously the conservation? Absolutely. And, and that's just, is that could just continue to, to grow and obviously what you've been able to do with affecting other people. We've come so far, but we've got so far to go. Yeah. You know, and you hear the many hands make light work. That's true. Mm-hmm. You know, people are engaged. I, I love working the membership booth at these shows. It's not necessarily my responsibility, but I have so many friends in the industry. And, and as we talk about the perception of our organization and how big it's grown, take a second to look at the project boards. Mm-hmm. There's project boards from almost every state that are, that are rotating on our screens. Stand there for a minute. That's pretty impressive about the amount of projects and habitat yeah. work that's being done by our organization. We're growing. We want everybody to be involved. We can make a difference. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't think we could do anything or we weren't doing well, I'd have probably lost interest. Right. I, I'm still seeing the return on our investment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why I come here and we get tired and we go all week. And But you know what the end result yeah. is? We're making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's... It's impactful, and it just makes that that much work, that much more meaningful, and sure. willing to do it. And wh- what do you feel that the, I guess the growth, the growth and the effectiveness has would be at kind of attributed to for for the growth of, of the Mule Deer Foundation. I mean, we, we, what we do is a lot of of media and and visuals and okay. creating stories and experiences and those kind of things through through visuals. So is there? Is that type of thing of, of a telling a story? Like, what, what do you see being the biggest impact for those that, that see what you guys are doing? I think we're getting better at everything. Yeah. This is all-encompassing. Yeah. I think we're getting better at the marketing. Yeah. We have never been good at telling people our story. Hmm. Um, I've done radio a few times, that kind of thing. But, but outside of that, you don't, you don't, the, the reach isn't as much. Yeah. And I think that as the organization grows, we're getting better at marketing. We're getting better. We're a family organization. I mean, our volunteers are tight-knit. They go from one another's banquets and help out at, you know, with the need help. And uh, it's a family atmosphere, and I think that, that people want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. When they see our organization and see the camaraderie and the, the love that's shared between our members and our organization, uh, it's infectious. And I think it's... It, 
I don't, with lack of a better word, it's the cool kid club because everybody gets along and <laughs> yeah. we're having a good time raising sure. money from mule deer and we're affecting a species that we all care about. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, I, I know I'm kind of getting through it there. Yeah. I think it's everything. Yeah. The marketing, the visuals, the website, the social media, things that weren't available to us or, or maybe we weren't taking advantage of yeah. even just a couple of years ago, we're learning how to take advantage of those things. Our reach yeah. has expanded we're touching people. I mean, with the click of a button, we're, we're touching hundreds of thousands of people oh, yeah. every time. Yeah. Uh, you know, we send e-blasts for our, you know, our mailers and things for our, our, our banquets. We're, I think it's all of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the whole thing. The media, the TV, uh, knowing your demographic, knowing the people that, that, that you want to reach yeah. and knowing how to reach them. Right, right. And, and is it, uh, I guess, kind of breaking it down to that individual level that seems to be really effective when you're, when you're putting something out, it's putting that on that personal action type list that they can, they can, they can move on or is it more spreading wide so that more people get a chance to kind of see I think what's it, going I on? I think it's the multitude. I yeah. think it, the more you touch, the, the more people that are, are, are going to people like me that maybe come from a hunting background that, that thought, you know, they're doing good things. I want to be part of that. Yeah. I want to, I want to go plant, you know, winter ranger. I want to go work on a guzzler. I, I think it's it's as, touching it as many people as you possibly can. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the women in the outdoors is the fastest growing demographic in the outdoors right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, having something that, that's appealing to a, maybe a young lady mm-hmm. or an elderly lady mm-hmm. that would like to come out to an event and have a good time. And maybe she wants to help with something that, that's, you know, kind or dear to her heart. Yeah. So I think it's the masses, yeah. touching the masses. It's probably yeah. been, in my opinion, and I'm not a marketing guy, but it seems to be that the... Yeah. The highest return. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, a little bit about uh, going back to you as well. So with the, the things that you get to be involved in, obviously you're uh, seeing impact in different states and other yeah. locations. Because we, we tend to see some, some interesting stories or things that come out of that of maybe a, a difficult project that was really hard to, to make work in a you know, difficult logistic location or maybe in a, uh, an interesting story where you've been you know, hunting and seeing the impact. Or just what, what would be something that you kind of stands out to you as far as a story that might jump out of just interesting, difficult? I, mean, I, it's, I think the fortitude. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm going to tell you two quick stories. Um, and I'm going to use the word redneck, and that's me. <laughs> But you don't come across that way. I'm that guy. So we were several years ago. We had an emergency situation in Utah. We had very deep snow. We needed to step in and feed our deer. Yeah. And if you go through the bureaucratic system and and you have to wait, we had some deer that were in a place that we needed to get to them. And you'll laugh at this, but it it it, it's funny because we had to wait maybe two or three days to get a snowcat to get into this certain area, and it took us literally an hour and a half through the redneck phone tree. (laughs) By the time you call this guy and that guy and this guy's grandpa owns one, but if you call him on Thursdays, he can come help. Oh, and by gosh. 2 o'clock that afternoon, we were digging out the gate and taking the snowcat down the canal to feed these deer. Wow. The red, <laughs> redneck mentality, we needed to feed those deer. We needed yeah. people with barns. Yeah. We needed people that, need to be, that could be educated as to why we fed, how much we were going to feed these deer, because it was a mm-hmm. dire situation. Yeah. And some of the people that stepped up were amazing. Not all, all the people were. Yeah. We would literally drop off deer feed in pallets they would house it in their barn they'd keep it dry and they would allocate it only in, in the situation in which the division of wildlife had set forth in regards yeah. to parameters to work within um that was the one quick story they need the, the, the ochre stansbury we did some guzzlers out there and, and here on timpanogos over by provo we you know these these guzzlers are very far removed from from where you could carry them in or drive them in on a truck and yeah. 
they hired a helicopter and they flew them in there and they wow. set them down and, and our guys rode horses in with shovels and picks and they dug holes and they set guzzlers for for wildlife yeah so there hasn't been a hurdle that's been too high yeah um the ingenuity of those that in the outdoor industry or that come from a, maybe an outdoor background they figured out yeah you know when we fed deer when we needed to get to that certain spot and it's just a matter of everybody knows everybody and they're willing to help wildlife all you have to do is ask yeah sometimes they don't know that there's an opportunity now it's fast forward i don't know 10 years later we fed in 2016 had another similar situation i made four or five phone calls we distributed by the time we got the order from the division that they would allow us to feed deer and help them um let's call it nine or ten in the morning we fed deer at two o'clock that afternoon Wow. Because we knew where to, I documented yeah. all those places. And they were, yeah. they were just your average guy that happened to have a place we could warehouse our feed. And then, and then they take on a full-time job for six or eight weeks. Wow. They get off their normal day job, and they would load yeah. up their snowmobile and ride up the road. And they were, they were responsible for a certain area. And, and that ingenuity is so cool to be part of. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, if you had to wait for approvals, and, I mean, it was like snap your fingers, and they were fed. And we just, you know, That's it, effective. every farmer, yeah. and keep in mind the, the mitigation and some of the stuff that we have on farms and different things, I, no, no, I never got turned down one time. You could pull into a ranch and they would take their equipment and push feed rows with their own equipment, their own fuel. They would pay their own ranch staff to wow. go out on a daily basis and feed mule deer to help yeah. get, you know what? That's not in their best interest, baby. <laughs> yeah. And they, and not one guy ever told us no. Wow. And I mean, these are, these are guys that, you're probably negatively impacted their, their hay farms and stuff. Right. So yeah. that's the coolest thing that I've been part of is to mm-hmm. watch people step up when, the, when it's needed. That yeah. call to action, yeah. can't touch that. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, I mean, it just, it makes it that much more real when you can be that, that effective. Yeah. I mean, when, when you know that there's a need and you can jump on it, that's, I mean, if, if you can't act when it's really needed, then then it's not, I mean, you're not right. doing the, the part that you need to. Right. And, and on that too, how, because uh, I'm, I'm assuming and in, in, in that a lot of uh, preparation goes into establishing where, I mean, you're not just going to go drop off some random guzzler or, or doing right. a random project. I mean, what, right. what, what's the type of background to, to bring that to that location established that this is where we need to be effective and help out in this place? A lot of what we do are guzzler replacements. Um, historically, they had guzzlers in an area for the very reasons you're saying. Yeah. You know, and as, as we, as, as culture changes, we have, you know, more people going faster on more roads, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it changes maybe where deer and elk stay. Yeah. Uh, so more recently, you know, it can be identified where a deer may be crossing or the deer may be crossing to a river on the opposite of a freeway. Mm-hmm. All you need to do is put water on the other side of the road. Yeah. You know, some of those things determine where a yeah, guzzler yeah. goes. Yeah. Some of a, a majority of them are replacements. You know, yeah. they've had them for hundred years or something and they've, they've they're dilapidated or they're not very effective. And mm-hmm. some of the new stuff that's come out is better at capturing water or holding water for species specific, depending on what the situation is. Yeah. So yeah, historic stuff. Yeah. Like when we fed deer, a lot of the WMAs in Utah were bought on winter range to protect mm-hmm. that, that ground for the animals to come. So we sure. knew that's where the deer were going to be, yeah. and you could yeah. see them. We, so that's, that was why we fed there. You know right. what I mean? Guzzlers, right. same type thing, where they are and what they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's cool when the game agencies acknowledge that, that sportsmen are their biggest asset, and they can work with their sportsmen yeah. because they can, now they can, they can do so much more mm-hmm. than they would be allowed to do as just a state agency. Yeah, it it opens up doors, I'm sure, to to where 
the other people can be affected where if they're just doing what they can do sure. then it's it's definitely limiting right yeah, i mean absolutely and uh and how much uh and just for anyone that is listening that doesn't know guzzler is basically collecting the water that's water there catchment. And, and catchment to be able to allow the the deer and other animals to, to so to drink that it's, water, it's right? captured through rainwater or snow or runoff and it fills a tank under an apron and then there's a drinker. It's not like it's a pond, you know, although we've done some springs and ponds and things like that were applicable. But in an arid region, those will dry up. And the, in a boss tank situation, it, it, it's, it leaves a drinker exposed. And all that water's captured and goes inside the tank and then comes out to the drinker end. Some of them have pumps and valves. They're on a spring. There's lots of different variations. But, and that's, that's what the deer will come there to drink. And mm-hmm. they need water. Water's very important. And it yeah. also allows them to utilize other habitat that they otherwise maybe wouldn't use because there aren't, isn't water in that arid region. Ah, sure. So you provide sure. a guzzler there. There may be great habitat, but if there's no water, it's yeah. not likely that they would stay there or use that type of habitat. Right. So you're kind of helping to, helping to direct the population a little bit to, to – utilize other areas and maybe get them away from something else that might be sure. dangerous yeah. or, or, or prohibitive to them staying there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's it seems like there's such a, a wide variety of, of, of a applications of, of what you guys are able to do, but also the amount of ways that people can get involved. Oh, in yes. Part of it from, from smaller levels to larger ones and bigger events and smaller events. And, Absolutely. Um, and cause this is kind of the big main one for the whole year, but you're, you said you have how many separate ones throughout the 143. Wow. Wow. Yeah, 143 nationwide. And how many, how many States are, do you have, do you have just regional directors or state level? I have, most, most of the regional directors may are responsible for at least one state. Yeah. Some of them like in, 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 uh, Wyoming, the guy's responsible for Nebraska and Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, in Idaho, it's just Idaho. Um, in Oregon, he covers parts of Nevada. Okay. Um, California covers parts of Nevada. They kind of share the state. Yeah. So, yeah, just how it works best, you know, demographically. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And uh, is there anything on the on the near horizon as far as maybe this year or something that's that you guys are are, are targeting that that is different or anything as far as the the um, the secretarial order for the migration initiative yeah. is probably it's first and foremost kind of you know th- this migration thing's a big deal. And that's probably something everybody should be watching for a while. That's that's going to be really great. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of mortality studies that are you know in process right now. I had the opportunity in December to go up and radio collar, recapture some deer that were already radio collared, check their body condition, deter- determining what the why the why fawns die. You know yeah. because they're they're collared and what caused that? Is yeah. it do we need more predator control? Is it is it lack of water? Is it lack of habitat? What are they getting hit by cars? What is it? And that study's ongoing, and I think it's going to really be telling. You know, yeah. we can because then we can start adjusting the things that are affecting population too. So yeah, and so this initiative is this at uh, at what level is this coming through? I Secretary, yeah, Secretary Orr. Yeah. He, he was here last year and signed wow. it into in the in our booth. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So what 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 all does that encompass? Or just for those that don't know about it, or or from it, it helps identify migration corridors okay. and, and leaving corridors for wildlife to, to migrate to, to winter range, to and from winter range. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, good stuff. Yeah. And helping with that, with, with overpasses, overpasses and things like and that. Yeah. Yeah. All inclusive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I know we've, we've taken a bit of your time today and I really appreciate you sharing even just, just the story of this and, and the impact that's, I mean, it's really, it's encouraging to, you know, to hear about 
the impact that's you know happening and also the opportunity for people to be involved and and what's what's the the primary places um you know website facebook or yeah wh- mulder.org go yeah. to org if you're if you're researching a, a a banquet near you or function near you yeah. we have 143 banquets but we probably have another 200 events in addition to that that are smaller type events we sure. do a beer for deer type thing we do a yeah. uh, gunapalooza in smaller towns when we're trying to establish new chapters so there's you can start at just the smallest level and kind of creep right in if you you know if, if it interests you so yeah and then there's annual memberships and, annual and membership thirty five dollars gets you yearly membership um, it comes with quarterly magazine uh, there's there's getting to be more and more benefits to being a member in regards to you know swag if you will you know yeah. discounts at different people that are support us and regards sure. to tire stores and things like that so yeah yeah because there's a lot of even at the the corporate level a lot of companies have been supporting right. and helping out there right too. And if and if yeah. you buy an mdf membership you you get a discount on clothing and yeah. you know camouflage and things of that nature so yeah excellent well i'm, I'm thank you for taking your time to absolutely to be on i appreciate the you guys really sharing our story <laughs> thank you for, yeah. for having me yeah absolutely thank you we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon sounds Thanks. great all right Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you're able to glean some valuable insights from this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and let us know what you thought and your feedback. We would love to hear from you. If you want to find out more, visit silverlinefilm.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook under Silverline Films. And we look forward to seeing you next week on Silverline Behind the Frame.